Well, I want to speak, as I've already indicated, on <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. I will read it again. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. The title of this sermon is All for Love's Sake. All for Love's Sake. And the title of this sermon is taken from uh, Frank Houghton's Christmas Carol, which we're going to sing a bit later. Thou who wast rich beyond all splendour. Now Frank Houghton was a, an evangelical Anglican and he was a, a bishop in China, in Sichuan. I practice pronouncing that, by the way. Um, and he died in 1972. He was a long-time director of the China Inland Mission, which we all know was founded by the famous Hudson Taylor. And Bishop Houghton wrote this carol during a very dangerous tour of um, missionary outposts in China in 1934. Now in, in those days, it's hard to imagine now, China was filled with hundreds and hundreds of, of missionaries. In fact, the church was doing quite well. But then there was the rise of the Communist Red Army and many missionaries were captured and tortured and uh, Frank Houghton's um, great aunt and uncle were beheaded in actual fact and so Frank Houghton began this tour of the missionary outposts in China a very dangerous mission and he was inspired by 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 our text and he wrote the modern Christmas carol thou who was rich beyond all splendour all for love's sake became as poor thrones for a manger didst surrender sapphire paved courts for stable floor thou who was rich beyond all splendour all for love's sake became as poor that, that's really the heart of the gospel all for love's sake his love for sinners. We find this amazing verse in a very practical section of Paul's epistle, don't we, in 2 Corinthians, where he's urging these Corinthian believers to follow through on a previous commitment to, to give um, an offering to the very poor believers in Jerusalem. And the Christians, as I say, in Jerusalem were very poor. And he's basically saying, were they to give, or were they to perform this voluntary act of giving? It would be an act of grace, consistent with the example of Christ's own sacrifice. I mean, it's not my main point this morning, but it shows us that we, should, we need to read all of the Bible because you wouldn't, you wouldn't guess that you would find such a rich verse in a, in a section about tithing. But then suddenly this amazing jewel of a verse appears. 
It reminds us also that the gospel shapes all of life. It's a very extensive thing. It's not just a certain section of our life. The gospel is to shape all of our lives as Christians, even down to, to things like giving. But Paul here refers to the ultimate gift and more importantly to the ultimate giver to inspire their giving. Well, that, I'm not going to do that this morning. I'm going to focus on, on what he says here in this ninth verse. This verse speaks of the riches and the poverty of Christ and of how Christ makes poor sinners rich. It's the ultimate rags to riches story and it's the ultimate riches to rags story because no one has ever been as rich as Christ and no one has ever become as poor as Christ. No one was ever in such poverty as, as us sinners and no one has received so much as we sinners if we turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the Christmas story. It's the gospel. We, we um, sentimentalise Christmas so often in, in the church. But the Christmas is part of the gospel. The fact that the Lord Jesus Christ came to be the saviour of the world. Our carols speak of this. He came down to earth from heaven who is God and Lord of all and his shelter was a stable and his cradle was a stall with the poor and mean and lowly lived on earth our saviour lowly and so Paul speaks of these truths and he says that these believers you know they were familiar with this teaching Verse, the beginning of verse 9 says for ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ this is something that they were familiar with but when we speak of grace sometimes we speak of grace sometimes as if it's some kind of airy fairy thing some kind of generous feeling in God uh, but you know grace in the New Testament is always expressed in and through Christ. It's not a feeling, it's not an attitude, it's grace through Christ. It is saving grace. Of course it's nice to think, or it would be nice to think that as a sinner that God loves me and that God would like to help me, but you know that's nowhere near enough to save me because my sins are too great for that. I need and you need God's action, his saving action. And grace and truth, the Bible says, came by Jesus Christ. Grace is in Christ. Grace is Christ. And the good news of the gospel is that Christ has come to deal with our poverty and our utter bankruptcy before a holy God. How has he done this? He's done this by paying a price that we could never pay and making us rich towards God. It's the story of one who could not have been, literally could not have been any higher. And it's the story of one who, couldn't, 
who could not have become any lower. And he did this all for love's sake. All completely voluntarily. The Lord Jesus Christ became the poorest man there ever was to make us paupers as rich as him. Because the Bible says we are made as Christians heirs and co-heirs with Christ. It's mind-blowing. Well, let's come then to our text immediately. Sometimes when you you come to a text or a series of verses, you have to work hard at thinking of headings or how it breaks down, but this one's easy, isn't it? There are four points in this verse. The first is how rich Jesus is. The second is how poor Jesus became. The third is how poor we were. And then finally, how rich we have become. So first of all, how rich Jesus is. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich. Well, I mean, how do we even begin to, to estimate how rich Jesus is? It's, it's possible to estimate the wealth of, of, of men, um, men and women every year the American magazine Forbes publishes an annual ranking of, of all the, the dollar billionaires in the world and uh, in April of this year guess who was top of the list any guesses no it was Elon Musk this year he was the CEO of, he is the CEO of Tesla, the electric car company, SpaceX, X, previously Twitter, Neuralink, and so on and so on. This is a man who never seems to go to bed. And he, in April of this year, came top of the Forbes list with an estimated net worth of $245 billion. So even though it's almost unimaginable wealth, it's possible to estimate his wealth. But when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to our Lord Jesus, I mean, his treasures are priceless. It's not even possible to estimate how rich the Lord Jesus Christ is. His riches are of a different order altogether. Paul in Ephesians 3 verse 8 explains that he's been given a job from the Lord and that his job from the Lord is to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. You see, his riches are unsearchable. You can't estimate them. You can't plumb the depths of his riches. No one is as rich as our saviour well even if we think of Christ's riches in material terms Forbes could not estimate it he's the owner of all creation dear friends he's the owner of all the worlds he owns all the countless solar systems 
down to the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns all the treasures buried deep in the earth beyond the technology of man. Uh, he owns all the precious metals that are in those asteroids that are flying through space. He can harness the wind and use anything for the purposes of his will. Kinetic, thermal, electrical, chemical, nuclear. I don't care what power you, you name. They can all be used because he owns them. He owns everything down to the very hairs on your head. He's the richest person there ever is and ever was. Colossians 1 verse 16 says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him. And this is the, the, the thing, and for him. It's easy to miss those, those last few words, isn't it? Not only did Jesus create everything, everything's created for him. You see, Frank Houghton said, Thou who wast rich beyond all splendor. He was meditating on the richness, the wealth, the inestimable treasures of Christ. The uttermost parts of the earth are his possession. He is the heir of all things. The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ. All those things are true. But you know, I don't, I don't even think that, that is the main point of what Paul is saying here. I think in our text Paul is thinking of a different kind of riches. He's thinking of the riches of Christ's person, of his deity, the riches of Christ's attributes, his character and his qualities. Do you know, even, even mortal man, rich men, if you really, when it comes down to it, they, even they know that true, the true riches of a man are not his material wealth, but his character, his qualities. Many rich men would trade all their wealth to be able to say that they, they had been brave in war and not been a coward. There are some things which are beyond money. But Christ's riches cannot even be compared to those things. His, the scriptures describe his wealth with reference to his attributes as God. Paul in Colossians 2 verse 3 writes of Christ's treasures in this way. He speaks of his wealth or his treasures of wisdom and knowledge. His wisdom and knowledge are hid, Paul says. They're hid like all, all the treasures in King Solomon's mines. You can hardly get to them. They're so deep. But they're there, they're hid. Christ possesses, according to Paul in Ephesians 1, 7, the riches of his grace. Not only knowledge and wisdom, riches of grace. The past finding out. In Ephesians 1, 18, he refers to Christ as having riches of glory. Now, these, these riches, dear friend, are 
They're amazing. Christ is very rich indeed. And he has much wealth to share and much, many riches to give. He's not only worshipped by innumerable companies of angels. He spoke heaven into existence. And by a world, by a word rather, he filled that new world of heaven with heavenly creatures. And he created the atmosphere of heaven. You see, heaven's created just like the earth. By the word of Christ. And every sound and every smell and every song in his sanctuary belongs to him. And if heaven is his throne, then the Bible says the earth is his footstool. And in six days, he filled this blank canvas of the world and he filled it with teeming creatures. He filled it with warmth and light. He filled it with land and sea and life in every form. And by air, sea and land, all the glory goes to Christ. He's rich in glory. Because by him all things that have been created were created. The Lord Jesus Christ was rich and is rich in his own being. And in the glory that emanates from him. The glory he receives in heaven is the very centre of heaven's worship. He's seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. Even the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus spoke of, of this when he was here upon the earth. In John 17.5 he said, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. You see, this is the thing to begin with. That this babe that came, that was born of the virgin's womb, born in Bethlehem, Epaphra, is the Son of God. The richest person that ever was. I emphasise all those things. I emphasise how rich Jesus was and is. So that we can be suitably amazed at the next point. How poor Jesus became. Paul says, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that although he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. You see, th this verse doesn't say that Jesus lost his riches. It says that as an act of love and loving condescension towards us, he voluntarily became poor. And he did this all for love's sake. Frank Houghton in his hymn conceived of this, this change in circumstance. Now, of course, it's not unusual for rich men to go from wealth to poverty. Um, they don't do it on purpose very often. My own father was a, was a wealthy man when I was a child. And I remember once seeing my dad stood in front of his shaving mirror, tears coming down his eyes because he'd lost an enormous amount of money in the banking crisis in the 1970s. You see, he, he, he lost 
a lot of money and he was weeping over it. But he didn't deliberately do it. He, he, he didn't want to lose his wealth. The Lord Jesus Christ, he voluntarily became poor. From that um, amount of wealth, for your sake, for the sake of, a, of lost sinners. He went well he exchanged didn't he thrones for a manger did surrender sapphire paved courts for stable floor thou who was rich beyond all splendor all for love's sake became us poor the Lord Jesus as I say went from the highest place to the lowest place from the greatest wealth to a poverty that no one has ever experienced before or ever will again. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ's poverty wasn't so much material poverty. In fact, I don't think the Lord Jesus is described in, in the New Testament as, as being the poorest of people. He wasn't as poor as the blind who, who had to beg. He wasn't as poor as the leper who had to under cover of darkness at night would have to find the alms that had been left under a tree or something for them. Joseph was a carpenter and the Lord Jesus learnt the trade. They were, he wasn't rich, the family wasn't rich, but they weren't poor in the sense of beggarly poor. Um, there was plenty of work. And even in his itinerary ministry, itinerant ministry there there was a band of women that followed him and supported his needs and the needs of the disciples financially there must have been some money because Judas was a, the treasurer of the money and I always wonder what happened to the to the gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh I imagine that was worth quite a lot of money now the poverty that Paul is referring to here is of a more profound kind. It's the poverty associated with Jesus as God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, all for love's sake, becoming a man. It's the poverty Christ of Christ willingly entering into for our sakes. Jesus left heaven to enter into this world through the portal of a virgin's womb. You know, no illustration can do that justice. Charles Wesley put it this way, let earth and heaven combine, angels and men agree to praise in songs divine the incarnate deity, our God, contracted to a span incomprehensibly made man don't ask me to explain that um, but it's this contraction this self humiliation which is at the heart of Christ's poverty his willing purposeful suspension of the independent exercise of his attributes during his earthly ministry the apostle Paul spoke of this condescension in our first reading Philippians chapter 2 
who being in the form of God, form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now we've got to be careful when we come to this area of Christian teaching. Because this is not saying that Christ became anything less than he was as a result of becoming a man or taking the form of a servant, taking on this body and reasonable soul. The Lord Jesus never ceased to be God in any way. And Paul emphasises this, in that, that, the, that in the physical body of Christ, the humanity of Christ in body and soul, in no way did it diminish his de- deity. Colossians 2 verse 9, For in him dwellest all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. But what the Gospels do show is that our Lord Jesus Christ, day by day, even from a child, submitted himself to the power of the Holy Spirit and to the will of the Father. Even to the point where he says such things as, I only do what the Father shows me to do, or I only do the will of my Father. You see, he, he, he subjected himself to the will of the Father and to the will of the Holy Spirit to the power of the Holy Spirit he didn't do things in his own strength he didn't empty himself of his divinity he became the God man one person with his divine nature and his real human nature body and soul but he lived as a man the Nicene Creed says we believe in one God the Father Almighty maker of heaven and earth of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made for us and our salvation. He came down from heaven, He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures. The Lord Jesus didn't empty himself of his his divinity, but he did veil. He put a veil over his divinity. He veiled it while remaining fully God. And we read in the Gospels how he chose not to use the prerogatives of being God. He he said one point that that he could call down legions of angels to save him, but he refrained from doing so. He became the poorest man the world has ever known. He took on weakness, human weakness. He is recorded as being hungry, thirsty, weary, tearful, tempted. He subjected himself to the will of the Father. Hebrews 5 verse 8 following says, Though he were a son, 
yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Well, we say, well, how, how can Jesus become perfect? I thought he was already perfect. Yes, he is perfect, but he had to become a perfect saviour. That wasn't automatic. He had to learn obedience as the, as the Messiah, as the, as the last Adam. He had to fulfill the law. He had to become the perfect saviour. Otherwise you and I would never be saved. And he had to learn that. Didn't just come like that. He became the perfect saviour for you and I. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. He drank the cup of suffering in the garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, he said, but yours be done. He became poor for you and I. Well, why did he need to become so poor? Why did he do it? Well, we said all for love's sake, but he, our third point is how poor we were. This is implied rather than stated in our text. How poor we were. He says, yet for your sakes he became poor. He did this for our sake. This is substitutionary language, isn't it? Christ, we know, died not for his sins, but for our sins. He died in our place and in our stead. It's the most basic thing you can say about Christianity, but it's the most important. Christ became poor because we're, by nature, are so poor. There's none so poor as an unsaved sinner. Your wallet can be overflowing with cash. Your bank balance can be huge. But outside of Christ, you're the poorest person you could ever be. We're described by nature as ignorant, blind, corrupt, deceived, slaves to sin, lawbreakers, subject to the wrath of God. On our way to a Christless eternity, dead in trespasses and sins. That's just a few phrases. That's enough to show that outside of Christ we are as poor as poor can be. It was for our sake that Christ became poor. And what's more, we have no merit, we have no credit with God to compensate for even one of our sins. That's how poor you and I are outside of Christ. We're utterly lost without anything in our hand which, which we can bring to God as an offering. Nothing. But the wonderful Christmas message in our text is this. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes... He became poor, which leads us to our last point. How rich we have become if we're a Christian. How rich the Christian becomes. What a, a vast change from poverty to wealth. Not the wealth of this world, as some preachers seem to say. Not riches that we generate in any way whatsoever. The riches of the Christian are the riches bestowed upon us.
The Lord Jesus is the gift the Father has given to us. And he is all the riches that we need. The gospel is all about the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ humbled himself, became poor, subjected himself to the Father's will, even to the obedience of the cross, and became the sin bearer for his people. That's the riches of his grace. That we who are bankrupt, for our sake, he voluntarily gave himself away for us and took all the debt onto himself. He took all of our debt and in its place he transferred his credit, his merit to our account. That's why we have become so rich if we know Christ. He paid the debt that we could never pay, erased our debt, wiped it out and credited our account with the riches of his amazing grace. Some of you look excited, some of you don't. I mean, what more can, I mean, that is the most amazing thing. Paul says in Ephesians 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. I can't speak of this now. But when you become a Christian, you enter into an inheritance as an heir and a co-heir with Jesus Christ. His riches become our riches. The resurrection of Christ, the New Testament teaches has inaugurated the new creation. Christ is the firstborn of the dead. He is the firstfruits of a new humanity. Millions and millions more will follow. Christ is the first. More will follow. He's inaugurated a new humanity. And when you become a Christian, you become part of the new creation. At first, this is only spiritually. You're born again. But eventually, it will even be your own physical body. You'll be given a new body and you will enter into new heavens and a new earth. And all of that has been kicked off, inaugurated. You're in it now. The eternal garden city forfeited by our first parents has been won back for us by the last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian this morning, dear friend, you are rich in every way. Amen. He has made you rich in knowledge and understanding in the light of him. He's cleansed your conscience from dead works. He has enriched your will to live for him, to live for righteousness. He's transformed your emotions so that you have a love for him and a taste for him. And Christ has enormous wealth and supply to help you in your time of need. Your need is a sinner if you don't know Christ as Saviour. He has, he has riches of salvation to give to you. But you have to ask him. You have to come to him. And if you're a Christian already today, then he has enormous supply of grace, of riches beyond compare to give to you, to strengthen you. You may be tired and weary. Well, the Lord Jesus knows that feeling. You may be worn down. 
He knows that feeling, dear friend. You may be tempted and under trial. No one knows that better than Jesus. God may even feel distant to you and far away. Jesus knows that feeling too. On the cross he said, where's my God? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me? He knows that. He knows it all too well. But he has the riches of his grace to give you today. You see, in, in the economy of salvation, there is never a supply problem. It's always a demand problem. We don't ask enough. He has plenty to give. He stands ready and willing to give all of himself and all that he has to you. To forgive you of every sin and to make you whole. But you have to reach out to him. And then that virtue will, virtue will come into your life from him. Him, the old hymn, his love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. But you've got to ask. You've got to come to him. We Christians, I think we need to learn what it is to eat and to drink properly. As a baby's only grow if they eat and drink. And baby Christians need to eat and drink, otherwise they don't grow. And if, even if we're more mature Christians, if we stop eating and drinking, we're not, gonna, we're not going to grow. We're, far too many of us are spiritual anorexics with this Jesus so full of wealth and supply and there we are we're not demanding we're not asking we're not receiving but he has all this supply if there's a verse I'd commend to you to, to learn this year not memorise but learn internally in your heart it would be John 1.16 John 1.16 and of his fullness have we all received and grace for grace. That's what John could say. In his Christian life and in the life of his churches, they were receiving the fullness of Christ. Well, can you say that? Or are you living on crumbs when there's a great table laid for you? Too many of us are content with the food which perishes, but we need to Eat that food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. Well, may you, brothers and sisters, today truly know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Amen. Amen. Feel free to contact us at Sovereign Grace Church in Tiverton. Email us at grace2seekers at gmail.com. That's grace2seekers at gmail.com. Alternatively, you can visit our website at www.sovereigngracereformedchurch.co.uk.